Welcome to the podcast channel of the East Bay Unity Intergroup of Overeaters Anonymous. The opinions expressed here are those of individual members and do not represent OA as a whole. For more information about our intergroup, please visit our website at eastbayoa.org. Hello, everybody. My name is Frank, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And I really want to concentrate on the spiritual part of the program. Uh, so I'm just going to give you a, a brief history of my weight and time in the program and things like that. I've been in OA for 41 years, and I currently have 14 years of abstinence. So obviously, I had some relapse in the middle there. My weight history was 430 pounds was my top weight before OA. I came in the doors with OA at 380 pounds. Within the first year of the program, I got down to 200 pounds. And I stayed there for about eight or nine years and entered a long period of relapse and recovery back and forth. And um, some people are not muted, so it's causing problems, but anyway. So back and forth, relapse and recovery. And finally, 14 years ago, I started a long-term abstinence. There were periods of abstinence in between there because I spent a lot of time between the 350 and 400 pound weight. And I never stopped going to meetings. And when I went from 400 to 350, that was when I was abstinent because I wouldn't be losing weight if I wasn't abstinent. And then I'd go back up to 400 binging. And so I I figure I have about 30 years total of abstinence in this program in my 41 years. And right now I have 14 years. So that's that's that part of it. Um, I was raised in a very traditional church and, uh, and, you know, I followed all the rules all the way through high school, but in high school, I converted to atheism because I really got into science and physics in particular. And, you know, there, there was no room for a God in physics. And in fact, I, I consider myself to be able to prove that God did not exist because the laws of physics were correct. And if there was a God that went around violating the laws of physics, we would know it by now. We'd be able to tell that the laws of physics are not correct. So I absolutely, you know, was an atheist. Like I wasn't just an agnostic. I wasn't unsure. I was very sure. So I had to have very hard bottom to come into OA. I won't go into all the details, but um, I went to my very first meeting and it was a very small meeting. And I didn't know that OA was a spiritual program. I, I, somebody suggested I call OA because I was struggling with my weight. And I went to, I called the local number. Luckily, there was no internet. If I had known there was an internet and I looked it up on the internet and seen it was spiritual, I wouldn't have come. But I went to the first meeting and it was a very small meeting. And somebody at that meeting, you know, they, they let me cross talk and they asked, how can an atheist work this program? And they said, you can use any higher power you want. You don't have to use a traditional God. So I, um, and somebody at that meeting loaned me the A big book and they said, read the chapter, we agnostics, that might be useful. So I took the book home, I read that chapter, and then I was convinced that OA was not for me. Because the only message I got from that chapter is, if you stick with us, we will convert you. And I did not want to be converted. But I had to go back to that same meeting the next week to return the book that I had borrowed. And that's what saved my life. I was a little more willing to listen to them the second week when they said that I didn't need to believe in a higher power. I could use the meeting as a higher power or, you know, anything like that. And um, so I went to my third meeting on the same day that I went to the second meeting. The first two meetings were on Wednesdays at noon. And then I went to a Wednesday night meeting down in San Jose. And it was a much bigger meeting with 40 people. And there I heard a man who, who was thin. He stood up and he was thin. And he said that he had lost over 100 pounds and had kept it off for years. So that gave me the hope that I needed. And I kind of plunged into the program. I got a food sponsor. I started losing weight. 
but I didn't get a step sponsor because the steps had that word God in them. Finally, after about six months in the program, this man volunteered to be my step sponsor and he had been cut out of the same mold I'd been cut out of. He was an atheist when he came into the program, had lost over 100 pounds, uh, had multiple addictions like I did. And what he got me to do to, to work the steps was to, first of all, give up the debate. You know, when it, when it comes to step one, I could de definitely work step one. I was powerless to serve food. When it comes to step two, came to believe that power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Well, I had this proof that God didn't exist. So the first thing he asked me to do was to give up the debate. What good did that proof give me in my life? It didn't do me any good at all in living my life. However, if I could get restored to sanity, wouldn't that do some good in my life? So that's how I first worked, started. I just started giving up the debate. And then he got me to act as if and to pray, even though I didn't think I was praying to anything at all. So what I most often said was the serenity prayer. And what I most often needed was serenity because I was trying to change things I couldn't change. And, and so I found that if I, if I prayed, I usually got the serenity that I, that I needed. And so that was, that's what induced me to try praying. And, and I've, I've kept up praying since then. But I, I tend to do very short prayers like the serenity prayer or my current favorite prayer is more God, less Frank. Now I do use the word God because it's used all the time in OA, but I, in my head, it's not the God that they're talking about. I have my own higher power, my own higher self. And I'll get into that quite a bit here. So, um, so I, started, I started to work the program. And by the way, in terms of uh, what, if I could change anything in the program, I would change step two, because being a scientist, scientists don't believe things, they gather evidence. So if I could do anything at all and change any step in the program, I'd change step two to say, gathered evidence that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And that's what I've been doing for the last 41 years. I've been gathering evidence that if I, if I work this program, I can be restored to sanity. And that's my higher power restoring me to sanity. So um, over the years, I actually did quite a bit of research and I actually am trying to write a book which has a, a whole theory about this, my, about spirituality. I'm, that's an outside issue. I won't bring it in here except to say that um, I'll, I'll, get, I'll use the names that, I, that, I, that I've come up with for me and my higher power. First of all, when I started out in the program, I was using the meetings as the, as the higher power because I got a lot of strength and support when I went to the meetings. But it's not a very portable higher power that I can take with me out in the world. So I eventually settled on what I called my higher self. It's, it's the God within, if you want to call it that. I think Christians would call it the Holy Spirit, you know, the little flame above my head here. That's the higher self. And my basis for that is from the OA literature and AA literature. A lot of the literature talks about the using intuition, that if we're faced with some decision that we have to make is something we have to do, you know, pray and ask God for help, and then listen for that intuitive thought that comes to your mind. And the claim is that that intuitive thought would be coming from your higher power. And so what I did was I basically turned that intuition into my higher power. So intuition, I consider as being part of my higher power. Now, I've, like I said, I've gone on and created a much more elaborate theory. I won't give you any of the details except for the two names that I use. The name for me, the Frank that's powerless over food, the Frank that, that whose life is unmanageable, the Frank who causes a lot of suffering in his own life and causes suffering in other people's lives, the name for that Frank is the thinker. And I think I am the thinker. That's who I think I am, I am the thinker. Now, there's a part of me that's not the thinker and it's the part of me that has intuition. 
And I call that the experiencer. The experiencer is the part of my brain which actually experiences the color red or the sound of music or, or experiences emotions that I'm having. And the thing about the experiencer is it experiences life without judging it. It doesn't have any, any you know, way it should be or way it shouldn't be. It accepts life exactly the way it is. Whereas the thinker is the guy who's always in there criticizing and complaining and wanting things to be different than the way they are. And that's causing suffering for me when I'm doing that. If I could accept life exactly the way it is, the way that my experiencer does, I would be much happier. So my, my thinker is who I am and that's the problem. And the solution is to work spirituality and turn my will and my life over to the care of my experiencer. Now, um, I, I consider myself to be a spiritual atheist. And what I mean by that is I, I use spiritual practices but I don't believe in a, a conventional higher power, a conventional God that's outside of me, that's you know going to change me or or change the world or anything like that. And um, you know, I I I have a definition of spirituality is that spirituality equals religion minus dogma minus politics. The dogma is the list of the book that you have to believe and all the beliefs that you have to un, have to take unquestioned. And politics is the, you know, the hierarchy of the church or the, that you have to go out and proselytize. And if you take those two things away from religion, you're left with a spirituality. So the kinds of things that spirituality consists of is the practices that you use when you're, when you're working a spiritual program. And those practices include prayer, meditation, practicing forgiveness, living in the now, gratitude, surrender, acceptance, and trust. So the, the, for me, the idea of, of being a spiritual person is, is somebody who's trying to practice those spiritual practices in my daily life. And that when I am able to do those spiritual practices, I'm much happier, healthier. I, you know, I don't have all the complaints that I have otherwise. And, um, and you know, I'm, I'm living a better life. And, and that's when I'll be more abstinent, when I, when I am practicing those spiritual practices. So, um, and the way this works is that prayer is where the thinker, me, the thinker, is trying to say this prayer, like in serenity prayer or whatever prayer I'm trying to say. And that's asking the experiencer for help. So it's asking the experiencer, please help me. And that's the way that, that, I, that I believe I get relief from my compulsive overeating in this program is by me, the thinker, asking the experiencer to help me not take that first bite. And the experiencer is the part that's paying attention to things in the world. And I've in, invented this term I call wise intuition. And the experiencer can use its wise intuition to help me not pay so much attention to the food. You know, when the thinker starts thinking about the food and obsessing about the food, the obsession of the mind that comes from the thinker. The obsession of the mind comes from the thinker that the big book talks about. And the, the, when, when, the, um, ex, when the thinker is obsessing about food, the experiencer can help the thinker pay less attention to that thought he has. You know, when, I, when the thinker is caught up in that thought, then it just, you know, goes around and around like a, a rat in a, in a squirrel cage or whatever you call it. And the, the experiencer can just direct less attention to that thought about food, and that can give me some relief from that. The other thing that it can do is when there's food out in the environment, it may not bring it to my attention. The experiencer is the part that, that's seen the entire world and knows if I have a goal of compulsively overeating sweets, for example, 
when I see a suite out in the world, the experience, hey, Frank, there's a suite over there. Now, when I am asking the experiencer to please help me not eat those sweets, the experiencer uses wise intuition and decides to pay less attention to the food that's out, in the, out there in the world. That's one of the ways that the, my higher power can help me to not take that first bite by, by not bringing it to my attention so forcefully or helping me to just let it go when, it, when I do notice it, for example. So, so anyway, I'm, I'm kind of giving some of the details of my book and I don't want to get too much into that, but that's how the prayer part of the spiritual practice works. It's, it's my thinker asking my experiencer for help. Meditation, the experiencer is the one who experiences world, the world and, the, and it experiences the world by directing meditation. Meditations usually have like a focal thing that you're trying to meditate on or just being aware of everything in the world whatever form of meditation you're doing, you are practicing being the experiencer when you're doing that. You're, you're getting a part of you to identify with the experiencer. And the idea is that when the thinker is thinking thoughts, you just let those thoughts go when you're trying to do the meditation. So it's a way of identifying with the, the experiencer instead of with the thinker. So that's how meditation helps me work my spiritual program. Forgiveness is something that the experiencer can do. Like I said before, the experiencer expect, accepts life exactly the way it is. You know, when something happens in the world, even though my thinker judges it as being terrible and awful and it shouldn't have happened, the experiencer just says, hey, that's what happened. That's the truth. Uh, you know, I can't lie to you and tell you that that didn't happen. So the experiencer can accept the world exactly the way it is. And the thinker is the one who's saying, no, it shouldn't be that way. And in fact, the thinker is the part of me that is selfish and self-centered. And that I'm convinced, according to the big book, that's the, that's the root of my problems. Page 62 says selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our problems. And that root of our problems is my thinker because that's the selfishness self part of me. And in fact, there's a quiz. I, I'll post this in the chat too so you don't have to try to memorize it. But it's the am I selfish quiz. And it says, if I am resentful, it's because someone did not do what I wanted them to do in the past. They did not do it my way. And that is being selfish. By the way, when I talk about I and my, that's the thinkers, I and my. If I am angry, it's because someone is not doing what I wanted them to do right now. They are not doing it my way, and that is being selfish. If I am fearful, it is because I know that someone is not going to do what I want them to do in the future. They are not going to do it my way, and that is being selfish. If I feel guilty or remorseful, it's because I got my way at your expense, and that is being selfish. If I feel jealous or envious, it's because someone has something I want and I want it now, and that is being selfish. So all those things are describing my thinkers. That's the selfish and, self, selfish and self-centered part of me. Whereas the experiencer is the one who accepts the world the way it is. When something happens that the thinker says that shouldn't happen, the experiencer says, yes, but it did. Yes, but it did. You know, And somebody isn't going to do what you want them to do in the future. And you can accept that whatever they do is okay. So, so that's the forgiveness spiritual practice is trying to live in, to, to accept the world the way it is instead of the way I want it to be. And living in the now is something that the experiencer does naturally. It's, it's naturally in the now, accepting the sensory input from the world and telling you what, the way the world is. It's, all, it's not off planning the future or going back into the past and rehashing things. Whereas when I'm in resentments, I'm living, it's the thinker living in the past is what causes resentments. And fear comes from the thinker trying to live in the future and worry about what's going to happen in the future. So if I live in the now, that's getting out of the thinker and more into the experiencer.
gratitude is again, the, the, the thinker is the ungrateful part of me. It's the one that's complaining about everything and the, the experiencer accepts them the way it is. Surrender is where the thinker tries to surrender its will and its life over the care of the experiencer. It tries to be more like the experiencer. And it's also trying to identify with the experiencer instead of identifying with the thinker. The thinker, his name is Frank, and he, he's the I, me, and my, and that's, that's the thinker. The experiencer is the world, and it's accepting the world the way it is. So um, that's surrender. And then acceptance, again, is, the, is what the experiencer does naturally, accepts the world exactly the way it is. And trust is where the experiencer trusts that the world will be okay. You know, whatever happens in the future, it's it's not uh, it's not going to be a catastrophe. I'll be okay. The life will be okay. My family will be okay. And if they aren't okay, I can live with whatever that is too. It's accepting the way it is and trusting that'll be okay. So so that's why spiritual practices are are useful in this program. And I am convinced that the the experiencer is the one who is not addicted. It's the thinker is the one who's addicted. It's the experiencer that has the ability to uh, accept life and accept the world. And it doesn't have this goal of getting at, going out there and eating as much food as it, I can. That's all coming from the thinker. That's the thinker's goal. And, and that's what I was. I was a quantity binger. I don't, even, I don't have any red light foods in my food plan. It was quantity that I needed to do. And the other thing is I, I have a definition of abstinence, which I really like. And my definition is this is somebody I got from somebody else. I didn't make this up. But in fact, I talked to that person recently and they said, I don't remember ever saying that, but I know they said it and I'm giving them credit whether they accept it or not. But here's the four things I abstain from. I abstain from starting over. I abstain from perfectionism. I abstain from negativity and I abstain from leaving OA. Now, the reason I abstain from starting over is that starting over to me always meant, and this is what happened every day during my relapse. Oh, I had too much for breakfast. I'll start over tomorrow. That says, eat everything I can today because tomorrow I'm gonna to be abstinent. I'm not gonna have all this food. I gotta get the last binge in, you know, this is the last binge, the famous last binge. And then of course, tomorrow, it's always, I'll start over tomorrow, the next day, the next day, you know, it just, it can be day after day after day of starting over. So I am not starting over anymore. And my abstinence is from quantity eating and what I try to do is to have a moderate meal every meal that I have. And there are some meals that are less moderate than other meals. And the no starting over says, even if I had more food than I wanted at this meal, that doesn't mean that I'm starting over tomorrow. It means I'm, I'm starting over immediately after the meal. In particular, don't keep eating when I notice that I've had more food than I wanted. Stop at that point and, and have an abstinent dinner and have an abstinent lunch, whatever it is. And, um, so that's the no starting over. And the perfectionism is tied into that. You know, I, I claim 14 years of imperfect abstinence. I don't claim perfect abstinence. Um, it's 14 years of imperfect abstinence. And, um, and negativity is probably of these four things, this is the one that I do less well. I can still be quite negative. I can still be quite critical about, you know, politics, the world, life, you, know, you name it. I can be complaining there about it. But complaining doesn't do me any good. I realize that now, but that's one thing I'd like to abstain from further. And then I abstain from leaving OA because I am thoroughly convinced that this program is the only solution for me. There isn't any other solution out there. There's no other, there's no magic food plan. There's no um, other program that's any better than OA. It's worked 
for 14, well, 30 out of my last 40 years. And the only time it didn't work when I was saying, screw it, you know, and I was often using my own will to do what I wanted to do. So, um, so that's my, my program. And I, I would like to leave my email address on the program, on the uh, recording in case somebody wants to contact me. And my email address is FBH. That's in Frank Ben High, FBH1949 at gmail.com. FBH1949 at gmail.com. And I see 20 minutes on my timer. So I think I will stop right there. Thank you.